Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. And Kono Karuda! This is episode 84, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, The Empress. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode on anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. And that includes part six. I can't believe we have completed part six. We even had a discussion episode, and we are back to Stardust Crusaders. Holy shit. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, it, it was sad that Stone Ocean is concluded, but just to jump back into part three off the heels of Stone Ocean, it's a good feeling. So we're still at least in the the realm of the Kujos, of course, and I guess still in the realm of the, the JoJo universe that we currently know in anime form. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's nostalgic almost because it's been a while since we've talked about Stardust Crusaders because we had the two batches of Stone Ocean, the second core and the third core drop almost back to back. So it's been weeks and weeks and weeks since we've actually watched a Stardust Crusaders episode. So when we were preparing for this episode and, you know, the OP starts playing and all this stuff, it's just that that wave of excitement comes over you. And I'm like, let's go. I'm ready to watch more Jotaro Kujo and the Crusaders and all of their crazy hijinks. But before we get into all of that, we do have a couple things to address. First off, I want to make a correction from the previous episode. Oops, where I messed one up. Of us, <laughs> one of us had a goof. Um, so in the episode where we talked about our favorite JoJo openings and endings, I brought up the Last Train Home ED, which was one of my favorites. And yeah, I think Courtney incorrectly assumed that the Joe Bros in the Stardust Crusaders never boarded a train in part Oops. three. <laughs> but I was looking back at some of my notes for part the part three review discussions that we've done, and I did recall in a synopsis that the Joe Bros took a train from Singapore to India at the end of episode nine, Yellow Temperance. Okay, well, <laughs> in my defense, that is a very, very short part of the episode Mm -hmm. and it happens at the end and it just didn't stick to memory because there's a lot of jojo lore that takes up my brain space (laughs) but thank you for correcting me (laughs) um you know we always want to be as accurate as possible so i'm glad that you caught that so that we could go back and uh fix my faux pas and for anyone who's interested in hearing that episode it's episode 83 of strictly jojo our favorite jojo openings and endings that was a lot of fun talking about the music that we love from the show And now on to two pieces of JoJo news for this week. The first that I'd like to bring up is in regards to JoJo memorabilia, specifically figures uh, as part of the JoJo 10th anniversary celebration for the anime. uh, New figures from the Ben Presto Ichiban Kuji figure line have been released. And I think the line is called (laughs) Evil Party. Evil party. What the fuck? <laughs> so it's uh, six figures in total that are based off the main villains from each of the JoJo parts. So for part one, you have Dio in his Phantom Blood getup. Part two, you have Cars. Part three, you have Dio again, uh, naked from the torso. From the waist <laughs> from up. From the waist up. <laughs> <laughs> so I think... As he's waiting for the Crusaders to arrive in Egypt. Uh, for part four, you have Yoshikage Kira in his workday outfit. His David Bowie outfit. Oh, yeah. He does look like David Bowie. Uh, part five, you have Diavolo 
in his sort of fishnet outfit. And then part six, you have the Reverend Poochie. Uh, I think this is post uh, transformation with the green baby. I love how like just so naked Cars and Dio from part three look like just more so than usual. I don't know if this is like photoshopped to make the figures look more toned and muscular than what they'll actually be. But if this is the level of detail in like their their anatomy that we're getting with these figures, it looks like a really high quality figure. Also, I noticed all three on the top row um Dio part one cars and Dio part three have the same fucking smirk oh yeah they do <laughs> uh so this is actually from the same line where I got my Jotaro figure the one that I got in Japan uh so Ichiban Kuji is actually I think Japanese for number one lottery because these figures these collectibles you'll typically find in gacha or lottery-based contests. I think if you go to whatever convenience store um, has the products. Uh, but I think here for the States, luckily, I, hopefully they'll, they'll, these figures will be up for pre-order so that you can grab them rather than having to get them at some gotcha place if you go to Japan. Uh, but yeah, we'll post a post an image of these six figures in the the Discord so you can take a look at them and decide if you'd like to pick up one of these and if you're not already a member of our Discord, the link to that is in the show notes. And then I have the second piece of JoJo News for today, coming from JoJoNews.com, titled, Voice Actor Takahiro Sakurai Resigns from Intention Agency. Uh, Takahiro Sakurai is the voice of Rohan Kishibe from Part 4 and from the ONA OVA, the Spoke Kishibe Rohan, for those of you who are not familiar. Um... This article states that Sakurai had joined the Intention Agency on July 20, 2014. His resignation is hey, to take... Hey, that's your birthday. Oh, shit, it is. <laughs> wow, <laughs> how serendipitous. Uh, his resignation is to take responsibility for his actions after he recently admitted to having a 10-year affair on his wife in October 22. 10-year affair on his wife? Yeah, that I don't know. That sounds sense. weird. <laughs> uh, moreover, in January 2023, another woman came forward to state that Sakurai was in a relationship with her between 2006 and 2009, and again between 2017 and 2021. Damn. Um, yeah, this guy has a lot of skeletons in his closet, apparently. Uh, and so in the article, there are statements from both Sakurai and the agency, the separate statements regarding his resignation. So you can read that um, and we'll post a link to this article in the Discord as well. But yeah, just this just makes me think like what this means for the characters that Sakurai voices moving forward. Again, we mentioned Rohan. He's also the voice of Giyu from Demon Slayer, Reagan from Mob Psycho, and Gato from Jujutsu Kaisen. I know Mob Psycho wrapped up, but you still have Demon Slayer and Jujutsu Kaisen that are ongoing. And there might be a case where Rohan Kishibe has an, like, he'll be featured in another season of The Spoke Kishibe Rohan. So I don't know. All of that is, uh, of course, up in the air. But yeah, this is quite a quite a downfall i would say for this va yeah i don't know i'm like kind of torn by the whole thing um i, I don't want to like share like my in-depth thoughts but it's weird because what this whole scandal is is like really bad like you're 
um, cheating on your wife with two other women. Like that's, that's a terrible thing, <laughs> but also it's a very private thing, a very personal thing. Um, so why would it affect his career? But I have to remember this is Japan we're talking about. Like one blemish on someone's record can like take down their entire career, especially if they're like in the idol industry or something like that. So they place a lot of emphasis on being picture perfect. Again, I'm not, like the whole thing is terrible. I'm not condoning or trying to defend like what he's done. It's just, to me, it's strange that this would just like end everything for him. Although I have a feeling he'll probably be back in a little while and continue doing his voice acting work because he does good work. I mean, at the end of the day, like his voice acting skills are really good and he has some iconic roles and I enjoy his performances, but let's just hope he can get his life back together and get his, uh, his desires under control. I'll leave it at that. I mean, it seems like this has been happening a little often uh, in recent memory. Uh, the other actor I can think of is Tatsuhisa Suzuki, who was married to the Japanese uh, musical artist Lisa, and all of the stuff that happened with him having an affair. Uh, he's the voice of Dragon from Tokyo, Tokyo Revengers, for those who aren't familiar. Uh, but I think there was another person... Um, yeah, in, within the JoJo realm, actually, Daisuke Namikawa, who is the voice of Anasui, uh, if I'm, yeah, Anasui from Stone Ocean, and also known, at least we know him for the voice of Hisoka from Hunter Hunter. I think he was also involved in an extramarital affair, uh, like a couple of years ago, but like he made a formal apology, and now he's still out there doing work. So. In some cases, I'm, again, I'm not condoning the actions at all, but I'm just saying, like, in some cases, these actors do bounce back from whatever incident or scandal they are involved in. And a quick note about our JoJo news um, for a lot of these upcoming episodes. You may find that some of our JoJo news is, like, maybe less timely, Um Maybe by the time you're hearing them, many weeks have passed. Just note that that's because we are recording a lot of these episodes well in advance in preparation for our baby's arrival because um, we're going to need to take a little bit of like a, a hiatus um, on our end, on the back end, in order to focus on the new addition in our family. But we wanted to record a, several episodes ahead of time so that way you guys don't experience any breaks in the Strictly JoJo schedule. So again, we want to still talk about JoJo news, but by the time we have the opportunity to talk about it, and then you actually hear it on the podcast, if it seems a bit delayed, that's why. And even, I think, beyond that, we usually try to record like a week or two in advance. Um, so sometimes there's going to be these situations where like a piece of JoJo news comes out, but you won't actually hear about it on our podcast for a couple weeks. Yeah, so apologies if our JoJo news are actually JoJo olds. <laughs> still still interesting things to think about. Yeah, and we love talking about it and uh, sharing all that excitement with you guys. So let's dive back into Stardust Crusaders. I'll be honest, on the surface, this is probably one of the lesser exciting episodes to jump back into part three with, but... I personally really like this episode because it's all about Joseph Joestar. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Like this is a, it's not a high caliber, high stakes episode for the Stardust Crusaders. But uh, it's funny because we're, we're moving from the Emperor 
with Whole Horse in the previous episode, or being involved in the previous episode, to now the Empress. Um, and I think it's just because we moved from a very, very serious story in the previous arc uh, with Avdol's demise or his temporary demise. And I guess for those purposes, it's just nice to kind of chill out with something a little more low-key by the standards of Stardust Crusaders. But yeah, it's fantastic because we see Joseph once again being the star of the show or the Joe star of the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love him through and through. Joseph will always be my favorite JoJo. I mean, unless one of the other JoJo's part seven and beyond just wows me more than Joseph does, but that's that's a, a high bar to reach. Um, so it's, it is nice to see an episode that not only features him, um, almost exclusively because Jotaro and Kakyoin are barely in the episode and Polnareff's only there for comedic like relief. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, I think there's a bigger meaning to the fact that this is about Joseph because his abilities as an older individual are questioned multiple times. And I I think that's a, a bigger thing in the JoJo lore that sometimes gets overlooked. Like we actually get to see characters age, but see them age gracefully. Like we think about all the times we see Jotaro pop up over the various parts, but does he get any worse at what he does? No, like maybe he's not the same as when he was in his prime, but he is still smart, he is still useful, and he becomes the mentor for the next generation. Same thing we're seeing here. So I love that they put Joseph's abilities on full display. Um, the enemy stand user questions that and even makes fun of him for becoming an old geezer, and yet he still is able to show us that he's still got it. It may not be the same as it was in part two because you know he's aged, and physically, like, things are going to change. But he is still the same Joseph Joestar we know and love. I actually Googled his age during Stardust Crusaders, and it states that he is 69 years old um, in part 69. three. 69. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but he's probably younger physically because for a while say, he was yeah. using Hamon. Yeah. Although I think he stopped using it at some point so that he could age with Suzy Q. Wasn't that, that was more in part four. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, I think he's still in his prime because just looking at him in part three, uh, he's still built like a brick shithouse. Um, <laughs> and I would say his physically, like in his, his appearance, uh, face-wise, I, f- I feel like he's more of like 50s, like in that gray fox sort of phase. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I like that. That's a, that's a good point. Like if you were to pinpoint is his Gray Hamon Fox age, or Silver, Silver Fox. Fox. <laughs> yeah, I was like Gray Fox. Silver Fox. Yeah, I think if we were to pinpoint his Hamon age, I think 50 is is what I would say as well. All right, JoJo fans, make sure you stay within arm's length as we crusade into our synopsis and discussion for part three, episode 12, The Empress. What sound does an ambulance make? Nina, Nina, Nina. And an ambulance is exactly what the boys need as they are accompanied by whole horses spurned lover to a doctor in the Indian town of Varanasi to look into the abnormal growth on Joseph's arm. Turns out, however, that the growth has a mind of its own and decides to end the doctor's career after nearly getting a clean shave, revealing itself as the crusader's newest enemy stand of the week, the Empress. 
The ghastly growth curses Josephu with a six-star GTA wanted level for the doctor's murder as the geriatric Joestar struggles to find a way to keep the sinister symptoms at bay. Realizing that Hamon was so last season, Josephu turns to Hermit Purple and uses its built-in coal tar GPS to find the nearest barrel. He forces the Empress to take a dive into the mucky material, which becomes as hardened as her heart, as he ensures that his enemy will grow no more. Sorry, Polnareff bro. The boys rendezvous at a rental car to begin their next leg of the journey, but an Among Us colored vehicle clandestinely accompanies their caravan, so you already know this is going to be one crazy trip. And now on to our next segment of the show, is that a music and or tarot reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. Took me a hot second to get used to that again, uh, just because we've had so many weeks of is that a music and or fashion reference. So back back to the tarot cards now. Uh, I think previously we had talked about Nina, um, the the spurned lover of Whole Horse in this episode, who now has a a featured role um, that's a reference to Nina, the lead singer of a German new wave band, um, you can listen back to our review of episode 11 um, for more details on that. But in this episode, we have a tarot reference to the stand Empress, which represents the Empress, which is the third card in the tarot deck. The Empress is traditionally associated with maternal influence, uh, the card for those hoping to start a family. How timely. Uh, she can represent the creation of life, romance, art, or new business, in a way representing the germination of an idea before it is ready to be fully born, which I think is a possible reference in the enemy stand's parasitic qualities in how it latches onto a victim and uses them as a potential disguise, as we discover with Nina's true form in that woman's body. Um, another piece of trivia with the Empress is that its characteristics of being a separate living organism attached to a person's body that kills people is possibly inspired by the 1982 horror film Basket Case, which is about a murderous pair of brothers, one of which is a deformed, separated, conjoined twin. The scene where the Empress kills the doctor with a scalpel to the head is very similar to a scene from the said movie. Uh, so it's interesting that there's already quite a lot of 80s horror media, horror media references with enemy stands in part three because you have the empress now. I think hanged man was an emp uh, a reference. Uh, the devil and strength, all like references to either horror films or TV shows. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. Unfortunately, I don't think we have any obvious ones from this episode. I was looking forward to getting back into more JoJo memes because they were a little sparse throughout Stone Ocean. Understandably so, because it's a brand new part for the anime people and it takes time for these memes to take shape. So yeah, we're gonna have to look forward to memes in the next episode. But as always, if we missed any from this episode, reach out and let us know. I do have, however, confirmation that they are still using Jojo as the nickname for Jotaro in this part. So one thing we've been looking at throughout Stardust Crusaders is when, at what point do they stop calling Jotaro Jojo? Because I think it's Stardust Crusaders where the Jojo nickname technically falls off. 
because you'll get references to Jojo with each of the subsequent Jojo protagonists, but it's just that quick confirmation that it says like, yeah, they have some sort of like Jojo tie-in, but then no one actually calls them Jojo through their respective parts. So I'm trying to figure out, or we're trying to figure out like when exactly do they stop saying Jojo in Stardust Crusaders? But in this episode, in the beginning when the narrator is bringing us up to speed on their travels, the narrator calls him Jojo. But that comes a little bit after the actual opening for this show or for this episode. I don't know if you'd call it like a cold opening. Like a prologue. There you go. Um, and it's Yaba freaking out because she just realized her son died in the previous episode. She's absolutely losing her shit and then attacks a random cat. And it's kind of interesting because it's probably one of the only cats that gets attacked in this show because we know that a lot of dogs get attacked. Um, I also found it interesting that she develops wounds like Jay Guile had from Polnareff. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a stand trait. I think it's probably just a weird family trait of theirs because she's like got magical abilities and stuff, it seems like, or like shaman type of like vibes to her. So maybe she just manifested those wounds. She says that it's because of their connect, the connection they share as a family, and I'm assuming it's through the stands. So it's kind of similar to... Like in Stone Ocean, Jolene was able to sense Poochie's presence and he, her presence. Um, but I don't think. But is that, that's a Joestar thing. I don't know if it's mm. a Stan thing. Although I guess to to be fair, I mean, when Dio manifested his stand, the rest of the Joestars manifested their stands and yeah. Holly got attacked by her stand. So maybe it's the same, but this is like very distinct. Like she's actually feeling the bleeding. Wounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like actually developing the wounds that Jay Guile had. So I figured it was more like a specific thing to their family because she can do some very interesting things. I thought it was more so tied to stands, and that's why I wrote in my notes, have we seen this before? Or yeah, I don't think we have. In the future, no. Well, I guess they're special then. <laughs> <laughs> um, she also says in her freak out that she's going to make um, the Crusaders pay a terrible price with the Empress card a stand that kills slowly. But honestly, I mean, the Empress isn't the worst that they've come across. So like she could have picked a more deadly stand, I think, to get her revenge. See, this is confusing because the Crusaders meet Nina after Jagal has been murdered. Yes. But then here, Enyaba says that she will send out the Empress to get her revenge for Jagal. My assumption is Jagal dies and Yaba has this freak out, and then Nina ends up getting in touch with the Crusaders. Like I think this uh, is like a bit of a flashback. So is it's my like assumption in between yes. those two? Okay. Yeah. That, like, that again. That's just what I'm assuming. I think that would be the the timeline here. After this opening, though, we jump back to the Crusaders, and it's them in a bus. And I just I love this scene so much. I actually love all the Polnareff scenes in this episode because it's so funny hearing Polnareff call whole horse an idiot when they're basically the same person. Like mm-hmm. he tells Nina, like he oh whole horse is a, a horrible lying bastard and i'm like okay maybe polnareff's not a horrible lying bastard but they have the same fucking energy like whole horse and polnareff are so similar and i think rocky even said has said that like they are very similar and that's kind of part of the reason he didn't officially have whole horse join the crusaders yeah it's because you'd have two of the same fucking character it's also funny because only maybe like a day ago polnareff was grieving about avdol and had all this built up 
rage against Jay Guile. And then here he's just back to being like a flirty Frenchman. It's like <laughs> once he sees a pretty woman, he just starts thinking with his dick again. I feel like, it, yeah, it's, it's twofold. It's him being a, a dumbass, but also his resilience. I think he's a very positive type of character. Like he's got a, a positive aspect to his personality where he just he bounces back because that's what he gravitates towards. Like when he first fought Abdul. And when he had like the butt in his forehead, he went, he did a 180. Like he was this like intense mm-hmm. character. And like even after the butt was removed, he acted all serious. And then as soon as the chick showed up, yeah, he's probably thinking with his dick. But also like I think he just gravitates towards um, trying to see the positives. He's more of an optimist, I guess you could say. Okay. That's that's just my my take on Polnareff. So as Joseph realizes that his um, arm growth is getting bigger... Uh, everyone tells him to go to the doctor. So he goes to the clinic. To doctor, no problem. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> and I just, I find this scene funny because Joseph is so nervous about getting this growth cut off. And I think back to like all of the enemies that he's fought and all of the crazy experiences that he's had and all the times he's almost died. Yet he tends to get weirded out by like the most minor or random thing. So in addition to getting weirded out by the like scalpel cutting off his growth, he also got really weirded out from the tentacles on the Dio buds that were like in oh, Kakyoin's yeah. forehead. He was like, "Oh, I can't watch it." <laughs> so like this grown ass man is so weirded out by these things, and it's just perfect for Joseph because that's his personality. That's who he is. He just sometimes things weird him out, and he's just gonna say it. And he's seen much worse, thinking back to, like, part two, like, his battle with cars. And, like, he had his whole hand cut off. Yeah. (laughs) Why is him getting this growth surgically removed any different? That's Joseph for you. Um, But then when he realizes what Empress actually is, um, there's, like, a whole battle that ensues. Empress grabs the scalpel and cuts off Joseph's metal pinky. And... um, in this exchange, Empress almost kind of pulls like a Joseph move and says it'll guess what he's thinking, which is that stands can only be defeated by other stands, yet Hermit Purple is only used to see things for, like that are far away, basically trying to imply that he's useless, mm-hmm. that there's no way you can kill me using your stand because your stand is useless. It can't win in a fight. So there is this kind of like running joke in the JoJo fandom that Joseph becomes nuked. Like in part three, he becomes useless because he's given nuked like- Nuked or nerfed? Is that what the term they use? Nuked? Oh, I usually say nuked. But yeah, I think nerfed oh. is, is probably the more common thing to say. Um, but yeah, like his powers get nerfed and he becomes useless because he's given Hermit Purple, which is a pretty useless stand. Um, plus he's getting weak with age. But- Again, like I think the 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 key takeaway from this episode is that he may not be the same as he was in his prime, um, and he may have one of the more like weak stands. But at the end of the day, he's still got it. He's just as clever as ever, and we'll talk about that as the the episode progresses. I think though that one of the new traits that Joseph has adopted in his older age is all the exclamations that he does throughout part three, <laughs> and I think we get. Uh, a good case of that in this episode, especially in this doctor's clinic. Um, he's, I think he says, Nani? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he sees what happens with the doctor and then the, oh, no, as well. Uh, so I think he says, oh, no, a couple more times in this episode. And those have just been iconic lines for Joseph in, in part three, along with like, I think later on it's like, 
or holy shit or like oh my god um, although oh no does exist in part two there are times briefly yeah, oh, yeah briefly there are like very small moments where younger joseph will say oh no so i'm glad they carried that over and then not only carried it over into part three but expanded on it with all the ones that you just mentioned i also wanted to mention in the transition between the clinic and where he has to go on the lamb from the authorities because uh empress is placing the blame of the doctor's murder on him the clinic entrance has the symbol of Moriocho uh, emblazoned on it. Which I had never noticed. And you pointed it out in our last rewatch. And I was like, oh, my God, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's like a small reference to the subsequent part four. But then it makes me wonder, is this a clinic from Morio? Like, <laughs> what's, what's going on <laughs> <No>. here? <laughs> David Production just wanted to drop it in as an Easter egg. Well, after he leaves the clinic, um, we get this this very special part where Empress is hanging on to the bars. Joseph is trying to get the stand to let loose that he can keep running. And he says, it's been a while since he's had to use this and starts fucking hormone breathing and uses overdrive. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a bit downplayed in this scene, but as a JoJo fan, this is hype as fuck to me. I love watching this moment. Like, I, when when I first watched it and he said, it's been a while since I've had to use this, I was like, no fucking way. And then he actually does like the breathing. Like it's not just ha straight to Hamon. It's the preparation of the breathing first. And I just, I love that so much. Like we see traces of Hamon every time Joseph uses Hermit Purple. So I think it has like flashes of that light um, that comes with its use. But to see him actively use Hamon was just so nostalgic. It was so cool because this is the thing with Jojo is the lore continues. Even though certain parts may feel very detached from others, there are always callbacks to previous parts. There's always previous parts being honored throughout. I just I love it so much. Yeah, it's nice that Araki didn't completely throw away Hamon in deciding like, oh, I want to move on to stands. Uh, it was just nice that Joseph's recalling all all the years of, was it years? Maybe like months, weeks of training that he did with Hamon and can still recall it even in his ripe old age of 69. And then also just hearing that nice sound of that sound effect for Hamon, which is like the sort of glass, like wine glass, like running a, your wet finger along the top. Um, I think that's also just so satisfying and just so nostalgic as well. Um, I know like we have just gone from part six, but it's been so long since we've heard Hamon. And even in this case where it moves from part two to part three, it's like maybe 12 or so episodes removed from part two. Uh, so still considerable distance between Hamon and, and stand you. So yeah, it was just nice seeing Hamon and hearing Hamon again after the eye catch we come back to um Polmareff hanging out with nina and he, again he's saying he's just talking out of his ass like this is just classic Polnareff. he's saying things like real men don't talk big and calling a whole horse a petty guy and says that nina should date him instead of a whole horse and i'm like bro you literally do all this shit all the time you're petty as fuck and you talk big all the time and it's just i think the cherry on top is how unenthused nina is the entire time because obviously she doesn't care about Polnareff. she's focusing on her stand attacking joseph but I just like, this is like one of the most 
iconic moments for Polnareff. Like if you needed to explain to a non-Jojo fan the type of person that Polnareff is, just show them the scene or these interactions between him and Nina. When it switches back to Joseph and Empress, um, Joseph's, you know, running around trying to hide somewhere, trying to figure out how to get rid of Empress. And he tells the stand that he's going to show it how many more years of fighting experience he has. But then internally realizes he's like, how the fuck am I going to do that? How am I going to get rid of this thing? And it's it's classic Joseph. It's Joseph still bluffing until luck comes into play and he somehow gets out of the situation. Yeah. And he's applying his technique here, technically of running away right the nigerunda yo yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah i just love how this is a reminder it's kind of a reminder of how like there are certain times where joseph doesn't know what to do even though he just like you said he, he bluffs it and then just ends up running somewhere but he's still smart like he's still classic joseph in that he's airheaded in these moments but he still comes up and f- with and formulates a plan there's another throwback that's more specific to, I think, us. And it's when the stand tells Joseph that it'll bust his carotid artery. And I immediately get flashbacks to what is still one of the like grossest scenes that makes me queasy in all of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And that's in part one where Dio grabs Jonathan's carotid artery and is like wiggling it between his fingers. Still freaks me out. Um, so when they brought that up, I was like, oh, no, it's all coming back. I don't think we're ever going to forget how to pronounce carotid um, just because our our friend Rob reminded us of how it needs to be properly pronounced. Yes, um, thank so, you for that correction. <laughs> yeah, that was another case of like why this scene stuck out for us or this this sentence. <laughs> then the stand says something weird. Okay, so Empress is like, as Joseph is running around, Empress tells him that he's getting further from Jotaro and the others, which I imagine is just Nina confirming like where Polnareff and all of them are. Like Nina can tell where, like how much further Joseph's getting because of where her stand is going. Um, but then I think about, like it, it sparked an, a thought in my head. Can't Joseph sense where Jotaro is? Like that's probably not a concern for him because if Joestars can, can sense other Joestars, Joseph can just sense where Jotaro is and try to find him that way. But is that mm. overlooked in part three? Do we get any talk about Joseph and Jotaro being able to sense each other? Um, I can't recall before this, but yeah, that's something we'll have to keep track of moving forward. Yeah, because that is a huge, huge thing in part six. I mean, that is like literally one of the biggest plot, I don't want to say like plot devices, but just like one of the core things of the plot in part six is that Poochie who now has Joestar blood, can sense other Joestars, and therefore they can't run away. Like, I, I think this may not be as big of a thing in part three, but yeah, I think we, we should keep an eye out and see like if there's ever talk about that, because then technically Dio can sense them too. Well, he's always been able to sense Jotaro, right? Isn't that, <laughs> that's constantly established in part three? How? Am I remembering things wrong? Wait, how, like How? Like, he can sense, like, where they're moving. I think he knows that, like, they're watching him when they use Hermit Purple. Okay, so it's not, like, a specific location. Like, I don't think the Joestars can pinpoint each other, but I think they can sense about how far away they are. Although, in part six, they're like, this person's five kilometers away. Like, they knew mm-hmm. down to, like, the, like the I was going to say mileage, but you know what I mean. Uh, down to the kilometers, like, how close somebody was or down to meters. 
Um, but I figured in part three, it was more about in general, Dio could sense the Joe stars, but like he more specifically could sense whenever Joseph used Hermit Purple to watch him. Mm, okay. Because then he like made the camera explode and stuff or something. Maybe not the camera, the TV. I think this is a TV scene. Yeah. He makes the TV explode. Yeah. Araki fucking forgot like the rules of stands or was still making them up as he went along. So like stand yeah. users can can are attracted to other stand users. Joe stars can sense where other Joe stars are, but like when that actually becomes a thing, we'll have to keep an eye out for. So the climax of this fight between Joseph and Empress, Empress says all these things to really put Joseph down, saying that he's a helpless old geezer. Um, that he can't do anything with Hermit Purple. And I think this is, again, where this whole thought about Joseph being useless is really coming into play. But like I said, Joseph has still got it. Even if he doesn't have the strength now that he used to have, he didn't always defeat every one of his previous enemies using brute strength. He so like Some of his enemies he defeated using his cleverness or with luck, because luck is a skill for Joseph. So in this case, he uses Hermit Purple to create a map in the dirt showing where the coal tar is and then uses that to make empress like freeze in place and then once empress isn't able to fight back anymore he's able to defeat the stand finally and i love the line that he says which is this is how joseph Josar does things i think i get better with age and then hits the stand with a your next line will be it's just like perfect it's perfect a perfect way for him to rub all this stuff in Empress's face, showing that he actually is still really useful. Yeah, it's classic Joseph. And yeah, the your next line is, or now you'll say, great callback to something that he did a lot in part two. But my question is, like with Hermit Purple, how did it know where the Coltar was located? Because like, unless Joseph has like a photographic memory of the entire area somehow... You know what I mean? Like, how did Hermit Purple know that he was looking for Coltar specifically and knew where to find the Coltar? Well, I think there's a mental connection there. Hermit Purple is a manifestation of Joseph's. Okay, inner... no, yeah, yeah. There's that. I mean, like, how does how does it know where the Coltar is? I think that's part of its abilities. It's kind of like with Dio. Like, how does it know where Dio's at? Okay, okay. Like, that's the whole point of her in purple is to locate things that Joseph is looking for. Okay, yeah. I, I'm looking up um, Hermit Purple on, on the JoJo wiki. Divination is one of its things. So it's it's kind of like Joseph's own Google search. Yeah, basically. Okay. And I think that's why people say, oh, it's useless because it's not meant for fighting. It's meant for finding shit, which is still helpful. It's still important. Um, but I think there is an aspect of Hermit Purple that can still be used in a fight, which Joseph proves in this scene. So then it switches back over to Polnareff after the defeat of Empress. And Polnareff is about to kiss Nina, and then she starts violently vomiting everywhere. And all I can think is, Polnareff honestly cannot catch a break. Now, it is a little bit of karma here because he's talking big and shitting all over Whole Horse, even though he's basically the same as Whole Horse. But... We all know that Polnareff can't catch a break. He can't even go to the bathroom without being attacked. So it's it's almost appropriate that he tries to kiss a, a girl and she throws up everywhere. Yeah, I mean, he was too dense to see the warning signs. So I don't really feel bad for him, <laughs> even though he starts sulking in the very next scene. 
And then before we get the conclusion of this episode, we get a second eye catch. Yes. So the first eye catch was with Hermit Purple, the stand stats of which we already covered in part three, episode three, The Curse of Dio. And so with the second eye catch, we have the stand stats for the enemy stand featured in this episode, which is the Empress. So we have destructive power at C, speed at E, range at A, durability at A, precision and accuracy at D, and development potential as D. In terms of the stand's appearance, I think according to the Jojo Villar book, its design was based around a rearranged Indian Buddha statue, which I guess makes sense given that this episode takes place in India. I just wasn't sure what it meant by a rearranged Buddha statue. Yeah, what do they mean by rearranged? That's See, I'm, I'm looking up statues of Buddha, and I, I can see like maybe in the the sort of hairstyle that it, it's similar. Or maybe the arms, like the the pose maybe? Oh, yeah, maybe the pose as well. But yeah, maybe someone out there can explain what a rearranged Buddha statue looks like. When we jump back into the episode once again, we get the final scene where the Crusaders are all back together. Kakioin and, and Jotaro have been like totally absent this whole episode, which is fine. It's all about Joseph and Polnareff. Um, but they are back together and they are bummed because they couldn't stay at a hotel. But Joseph says he's handled things with the cops. They've got the rental car. We're all good. And then he tosses the keys at Polnareff to have him drive and it just gets stuck in his hair. And he doesn't even react because he's so traumatized by what happened with Nina. I was like, oh, poor Polnareff. Again, it's kind of his own karma, but it's just a funny scene. Karma. Karma. <laughs> yes, because they are being tailed by another car. And that is what we're heading into with the next episode. But that leads us into our final thoughts for this episode, part three, episode 12, The Empress. So do you feel like this episode impressed you in any way? I mean, again, like on the surface, this is a boring ass episode. <laughs> like when we're when we're stuck in the stand of the week, enemy stand of the week formula, some of the episodes are going to feel a little more low key. They're going to feel less exciting. Um, they may even just kind of feel like filler. I think this episode has the potential to feel like all of those things, but truthfully isn't because Joseph needs this time to shine. Joseph needs to prove that he is still useful, even if he's not what he once was in part two. Um, we get plenty of that with Jotaro over the next several parts. So it's nice to also see that come um, come full circle with Joseph, you know, having aged a lot since part two. So as a, as a huge Joseph Joestar fan, I love and appreciate this episode for what it means for him, even if the stuff happening around him isn't exactly the most exciting, because truthfully, the shit is just like a running simulator. It's just Joseph running around trying to get a growth off of his arm. But as we talked about before, Iraqi can take even the most mundane or minor situations and make them into the the most like exciting and splashy spectacles ever. And so I don't think this is any exception. Um, but I do think that it's it's a great situation to allow Joseph to shine. Because at the end of the day, could he take down like a really strong, tough stand? No, probably not. Like maybe he'd need some 
some luck on his side or some clever maneuvering. Um, but here it's not a stand that's all about brute strength. It's a stand that takes some cleverness and some wittiness to overcome. And that's the perfect kind of enemy for Joseph. What about you? Yeah, it's a simple episode, but I think it was a great way for us to just come back into the nonsensical journey of Stardust Crusaders. Even if Jotaro isn't the focus for this outing, I think that Joseph is a more than suitable replacement as we see the geriatric Joestar still has plenty left in the tank when dealing with his enemies. It's kind of like a fine wine. He just gets better with age. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I love like the the short nod to Hamon in this episode, which was just one of those little things that you appreciate with Jojo because much like Joseph himself, the series still knows when to respect what's come before it even if fighting phantom manifestations of one's fighting spirit sounds way cooler than controlling your breath. Uh, But yeah, I thought overall this was just a great little bit of respite after the Hanged Man arc and the quote-unquote temporary loss of Avdol. So what better hands to place the responsibility of some much-needed comic relief in than the capable mechanical hand of JoJo's biggest goofball? All in all, it's great to be back to Stardust Crusaders. We got through a good chunk of it um, before we dive. We dove back into Stone Ocean. We dive Ocean. her down. We dive her down <laughs> back into Stone Ocean. Um, but there's still plenty of Stardust Crusaders to tackle, and we're super excited to go through that journey once again with you guys. And thank you, as always, for listening. We really appreciate the support. Subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued. (laughs) 